thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Liberty listeners, thanks for joining us once again. This week, we're going to change things up just a bit. I have taken five questions, questions that you've all asked me either in person, on our Instagram, or in our email. And these are questions about starting up or growing your business. And um, for those who didn't know that we were doing this episode, feel free to leave a question on our Instagram, which is at Liberty for Her. And the next time we do this, we will uh, try and get your question answered. So here we go. And again, these questions have come from Instagram, email, and uh, some of my clients. So question number one, I have built a pretty decent social media following, but I'm not seeing it translate into sales. What am I doing wrong? Well, you're not necessarily doing anything wrong, but let's talk about what this conversion could possibly be. So let's say, I love examples, so I'm going to use an example. Let's say there's um, that you're a cupcake company or a, a smoothie company. That's probably even more popular right now. And you're a local company and you're doing a great job. You're killing it selling smoothies, you know, fresh, pre- fresh pressed juices, that sort of thing. And you're taking these awesome pictures, posting them on Instagram, and people are reposting and they're asking questions and your Instagram following is exploding. And that's great, but it's not doing much for you locally. It's not driving revenue. It's not, you're not seeing the benefit of it. So what do you do? Well, first identify, why are these people following you? Are they following you because your pictures are awesome and they want to post how they're living a healthy life or how they themselves are making smoothies or, you know, what is it? Is it the photographs? Maybe it's not the photographs. Maybe you're listing your recipes and it's your recipes that they're so excited about. So really identify what is the thing that is um, the most compelling. Why are all these people following you? And then based on that, Try and identify what can you do to serve that national audience, an audience who's not going to come knocking on your local door. Let's go back to the smoothie example. Maybe you can sell smoothie recipes. Maybe you can offer a subscription-based, um, you know, $9.99 a month um, to get the latest in smoothie recipes and maybe even make recommendations to supplements that can be purchased from your store, from your online store. Um, creating a product or diff or um, or service that's slightly different, but in the same kind of sphere where your expertise has grown and exists, and where people where this following is, you know, really. Um, concentrated on or what they're concentrating on is really where you want to stay. Don't don't leave your pocket too much, but look for a different avenue where you can, again, create another revenue stream based on that expertise, that thing that you're doing so well, but you're just packaging it in a slightly different way. So again, selling recipes would be a great example. Now, one thing I want to just warn you of, if you do this, just be really careful that your existing local customer may feel like if they're paying, let's say, $6, $7 for one of your awesome smoothies, if you're giving away the recipes, 
they may feel like they don't need to come in anymore. So make sure that there's a distinction between what you're giving away online or selling online to that national audience and what you're protecting and saving for your local audience. Um, Let's not confuse, you know, the two platforms. Let's use them for what they're intended for and, and keep our local customers happy and that existing revenue coming in. Okay, question number two. I launched a photography business in hopes that it would buy me the freedom to travel and come and go as I please. But the real money was in weddings, so I pursued that, and now everyone thinks that's all I do. They think of me as a wedding photographer. How do I move forward creating something that gives me the freedom I was hoping for and an income I can count on? Um, That happens more times than you think, and I hear that from clients more often, again, than you would think. They started something um, and sort of incidentally or or coincidentally, this other opportunity kind of took over. They saw that, oh, the money's here, the business is here, the desire from consumers is over here, so let me shift a little bit. And in the end, they've created a company that they're not altogether happy with. So let's go back to this specific question on being a photographer. Um, let's look at the market. What's really popular right now in the market? Well, destination weddings are really popular. Um, whether it's so you can invite fewer people or to make it, you know, mutually inconvenient as my husband and I did, we had family coming from two different States. What can we do to make this as fair as possible? Um, so people are choosing destination weddings and they're also getting married a little bit, um, older, a little bit later in life. And so there's a little bit more money for that. So look at what's happening in the wedding industry. Look at how you can address um, that industry from a different vantage point that your point of view or POV, as you may have heard it, is um, slightly different, but really responding to the market. So maybe you can be a destination wedding photographer. And maybe you can even be more specific and say you're a destination wedding photographer for overseas travel. So not just for like, you know, Hawaii or for within the United States or something like that. That depends on you. And when you go to these weddings, when you book these weddings, um, perhaps, you know, stay a few days longer and take pictures of whatever it is that you you wanted to be a photographer of, the culture, um, the landscape, you know, whatever it is, and then start to um, take advantage of those opportunities to travel and to expand what you're doing, what your offering is as a photographer. So again, you're hired, you go do a wedding in Italy, and then you stay a, a couple extra days. The wedding was in Venice. You stay in Venice. You take these great shots, and then you sell these shots on, you know, uh, perhaps a like a, a crowd um, photography platform. Um, or you sell them to a travel magazine, or you give them away to a travel magazine because you're really trying to establish yourself in that area. And now all of a sudden you continue to make that um, revenue that is coming from weddings. You're not shifting the brand that you've created. You're expanding it. You're specializing. You're becoming more of a niche brand or product, um, but it's more in line with what you originally set out to do as a photographer and the the thing that was you were originally passionate about. Okay, question number three. Netta, I've heard you ask interviewees what personality types are cut out for entrepreneurship, but I want to know what you think. What do you think the traits are of a good entrepreneur? 
or a successful entrepreneur. Um, so I'd say the first thing is a passion for what they're doing. If people go into whatever the endeavor is um, and it's focused on the financial bottom line only, and I, I make a distinction between financial bottom line because there are multiple bottom lines. Your bottom line might be making an impact. Uh, your bottom line may be having flexibility so that you can be home with small children. Your bottom line may be... Um, you know, you're doing a documentary or you're writing a book and it may be just getting this in the hands of whoever needs to see it that can take it to the next level. So in this case, what I'm talking about is very specifically people who go into it strictly for financial reasons and um, aren't super passionate about the product or the service. It's just about the bottom line. That doesn't mean they can't be successful. I just find that people in general, who are successful, care about both. They're passionate about what they're doing and they're focused on the bottom line, whatever it may be. The other thing is just a real drive to be successful. And that means to define what success means to you um, beforehand. So again, as I said, if success is financial, great. If success is flexibility, great. If success is um, having an impact because you're creating a social um a social business or a social nonprofit, then you you know that 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 becomes your bottom line. Um, I would say the other thing is really a, a tenacity, um, a tenacity for kind of um, hanging in there, understanding that there are highs and lows every single day, every week, every month, every year, and being able to have that sort of tenacious spirit to move forward, to move past it, to know that um, there's a new day, that there's, um, you know, there is a silver lining, finding the silver lining, because that's what's going to carry you through. And to, to some people, this may feel like, you know, a little Pollyannic or, you know, oh, that's a person who the, the glass is half full. But honestly, you kind of have to be that um, that type of person, because the reality is there are so many things that will bring you down and you have to be able to carry, um, carry yourself up or pick yourself up rather, and really look for how to do that, how to find the the benefit or the good in that particular situation. Um, Patience. I think it's really people who are willing to work and work for a long time and be patient in the process. Who People who can identify the difference between, I've really worked hard for eight months and there's been no results, so I'm going to put this away. And people who can say, who can go into it and say, I know that working hard um, isn't necessarily going to yield results right away, and I'm in it for the long run. I'm I'm going to stick around um, for three years and maybe even plan that out in advance so that you're financially prepared for that, so you're emotionally prepared for that, so the people that are affected by you starting this business are prepared for that. So some of that bi- that patience needs to be built in in the same way that you know, you would for a long trip. If you're going on a long trip, then the things that you're packing um, prepare you for that. And when when that trip gets extended or when you're weary and you're tired of traveling, there's an, there's something in you that's already anticipated that. And so you can sort of hang in there for that. Okay, that, that went off. Uh, I went off on that a little bit, um, but I think you guys get the point. The other thing is flexibility, and I can't uh, emphasize this enough. Being flexible, being willing to, whether it's change up the business model if needed, if, if the, you know, 
um, your audience is viewing the way they look at this item or they shop for this item or they need this item in a different way, being able to kind of switch things up and really look at them um, and, and take the lead from from that demographic, from that target audience. Um, also look at sometimes you built something for one reason. Uh, let's say, think of baking soda. Baking soda had a very specific um intention when it was created. And then people realized, oh, if you put it in your refrigerator, it actually can absorb um, smells. And it's a, it's a good way to keep your refrigerator smelling fresh. And oh, by the way, did you know you can brush your teeth with it? Well, Arm & Hammer or any baking soda, not necessarily that name brand, can, took a look at that and said, hey, let's let's respond to the demographic viewing our product in a different way and, and, and let's sell it for these multi-purposes. And and being flexible, I mean, in that way, being flexible was a positive, but sometimes you need to be flexible when things are negative. And when you look at the demographic that no longer wants your product and you say, okay, I've built this brand and they liked me for three years. They needed me and my product for three years. Now what? And and somebody who really has what it takes to stay in there as an entrepreneur, somebody who can be flexible and respond to that need. And I think the, the very last thing that um, I want to say about this is people who are doing Whatever they're doing, um, regardless of the money in the first few years, meaning they would be doing this whether they were making $10 or whether they were making $100,000, that they're really passionate about this product. They wanted to get it to market. They're passionate about the service. They're passionate about whatever it is they're putting out. Um, and they feel like it's really creating an impact or making a difference. Um, again, I guess that goes back to that that very first thing that I said was just in general being passionate. But again, passionate and taking the money piece of it away is what I'm saying um, in this one. Um, and then I guess I lied. I said that was the last one last thing. It's just the difference, the biggest difference between those that make it and those that don't. And this is so, so simple, but it's those who are willing to hang in there a little bit longer. Um, Often people end a little too soon and they just run out of steam a little too soon. And that goes back to just packing for the long haul, packing for that long trip because entrepreneurship is a long trip. All right. Number four, uh, people ask me all the time. This is not me. This is somebody who's ask, asking this question. People ask me all the time who my target audience is. And honestly, everyone can use my product. It's an all natural line of oils. It's not just for women, babies and children and men can benefit from it. So how do we, how do I create a brand or a marketing plan that speaks to all those people? And I'm going to tell you right now, there's no such thing. Um, there's no such thing as a product that is made for everyone, that everyone is the target audience. And I'm going to use an example of water. We all need water. We all benefit from water. We need water just to survive. But if you look at water brands, they don't all sell to the same target audience. Um, one water brand is selling with a sports spout specifically to athletes. Another water brand might infuse with certain vitamins or even the packaging is more feminine and they're really trying to go after a woman um, uh, and maybe the benefits are when she drinks XYZ water, you know, how much ever water she's supposed to drink, 
she has clear skin or it's great for her hair or, um, you know, it quenches her thirst and they talk about what it, what is it that, um, makes a woman's, uh, water experience slightly different from a child's or from a man's. And you see this all the time in advertising. So while the benefits um, of the water to the water drinker are slightly different based on how the brand goes after that target demographic, the actual features are identical. We all need water, again, to survive equally everybody in all tar- in, in, in all demographics, but it's the way they go after a specific brand. Um, and I would actually even, you know, let me use an, another example because I think there's there's a few companies that do this really well. Razors. Both men and women use razors. Both want a close shave at the end of the day. But in the women's razor, um, she's looking for a way to moisturize. She's looking for something that has a head that pivots. So when she goes over her knees or her ankles, it's not going to cut. Well, the men need the same thing when they go over their chin or their jawline. But the way they go after that, one is a rugged male and the, you know, the razor is blue or green or black or gray versus the the feminine or the female um, product is, you know, it's some sort of pastel color and it is scented, you know, the the aloe vera strip has baby oil or whatever in it. Um, They're really focusing on selling to a very different target audience. So I think those are two really good examples of why it's important to focus on the target. And I just want you to think of it as a bullseye. You need to be shooting for something um, in order that you hit exactly who you want to hit. And if the customer decides that your product has other uses for other demographics, um, let that be secondary. Let that be the next kind of that next circle around the bullseye. But what you're focusing on, what you're building a brand around, what you're trying to communicate through your marketing is really focused on that target. You're bringing this value to that target. Okay, last question. What do you do when your business starts growing and becoming too much to handle on your own? How do you expand it beyond yourself, but still maintain your design aesthetic? Now, this particular question came from um, somebody who runs a florist design business and a very successful one at that. So let me let me answer it for anybody. So it's not just design. It's anybody who's created a brand, probably with the founder still very much attached to doing the work. Um, and now the founder's in a place where they need to start to remove themselves because the workload is just getting too much. But the fear is if they remove themselves, they're going to diminish the value or the quality that they've been able to give clients. Um And that's a very, very real problem and one that, again, I've heard multiple times from clients. Hey, look, I'm growing. I'm getting to capacity. I'm only one person. There's only so much time in the day. How do I do this? So I want to use, again, you know I love examples. So I want to use an example of Starbucks. Starbucks has multiple stores all over the world And rarely will you go into a store, you know, I live in LA, but if I'm in New York and I get my coffee order, um, I'm going to get the same tasting coffee. Um, And I I think almost without exception, um, I've had that experience over how many years of drinking Starbucks coffee. So what that put on Starbucks 
in terms of um, what it put on the, you know, the early years of developing Starbucks and saying, hey, we're going to scale this coffee shop and we're going to expand beyond our wildest dreams. But we have to give the customer the same value, the same experience, the same taste everywhere they go, regardless of where they are. How do we do that? And here's where the hard part comes in. You have to develop systems. You have to stop. You have to take a few weeks off, stop working in your business, start working on your business and really develop a plan, um, almost like a, a, a playbook. Here's how anytime I'll use the, the example of where the, the question came from. Anytime our flowers go out, let's say for a wedding, here are the things that we we must do and we must get right. And it could be every any or anything from the way the flowers look, the way we keep the flowers fresh, um, the way we deliver the flowers, the customer service we offer when we deliver the flowers, uh, the way we work with the client in advance of um, creating the bouquets. You know, we, we really come alongside them and we um, ask ask them what they're looking for. And we create a vision board based on what they're looking for. And then the next process is we come up with, you know, three suggestions. And then from those three suggestions, they pick one. So you all of a sudden have to almost automate the business that you've been doing by yourself that's existed in your head. And you find a way to pass on to other people uh, the ability um, to get it right the ability to create a product with a certain set of standards um, that you've put into place. Now, the other thing you need to do, and, and these things aren't mutually exclusive, but you can perhaps do one before the other. The other thing is to step away from the operations of the company. So maybe it's time that you step away from the accounting. Maybe it's time that you step away from the social media. Maybe it's time you step away from the customer service. Maybe you should only be focused on creative directing. Again, in this case, looking at the flowers after they've been purchased, they've been brought into your studio where you arrange them, um, you arrange one, and then you have uh, an assistant who duplicates uh, the very bouquet that you made. Now, again, I'm assuming this is for events. If it's not for events, maybe you, you know, maybe you have a floral shop where people come in and buy one off. You create a standard of 20 bouquets. You photograph them at various angles. You identify the flowers that go in those bouquets and exactly where they go. And somebody has a playbook. They can actually look at a book that gives them, um, a visual of what it is you want to create. And then you have, you know, a, a one through 10 of all the things that outside of the visual, again, the customer service, how we greet customers, how we, um, how we bill or invoice for things, uh, the way in which it's delivered, if it's packaged in a certain vase or a box, all those things become standard. The hardest part for the founder in this particular area isn't to create the systems. I mean, to find the time to create the systems is definitely hard, but it's removing themselves from the business. This is their baby. This is the thing they've built and grown from scratch. And it's very hard to step away. And for some businesses, they never will. They actually built this venture so that they could work within their business. That is their love. That is their passion. And for you, that may be the case. And growing and scaling is not what you want to do. Maybe you want to think about staying exactly where you are, 
And um, if, if that's your definition of success, or maybe you should think about if that's your de- definition of, su- of success, then growth is not necessarily what you want. And that needs to be okay. In fact, that that is okay. I'm telling you it's okay. I'm giving you permission for that. For other businesses, you absolutely want to grow and scale. And if that's the case, then you need to start removing yourself from the day-to-day operations of the business and and really start thinking about how to help other people administer the vision that you've created for your business. So those are the five questions we've got this week. And I think our plan is that every 10 episodes of Liberty Sessions, we're going to take five questions from you. So again, send those questions our way. We can't wait to get them. I'll do my my best to answer them. And um, I'm going to go ahead and give you all our uh, email as well. So you can send those questions that way. And that is info at libertyforher.com. You could also leave any questions on our Instagram, also at libertyforher.com. Until then, I'll talk to you guys or, well, I'll be talking to somebody with you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to Liberty Sessions, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week.